You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Right now, we are in the midst of a revival series. And in the series, we started off, it has been incredible already for us to seek the Lord intentionally in this year of prayer, starting off with a time of revival. We've already heard from Pastor Capace and Pastor Scott last week, two tremendous messages challenging, exhorting us, and calling us to this time of revival. What I want us to do right now is go ahead and open our Bibles to, we're going to get into John chapter 21. Let's turn here this morning in your Bibles. It'll also be on your screen. And as we turn there, well, I want to preach to you today on this subject of follow me again. The subject again is follow me again. Coming from the words of the Lord Jesus with emphasis on follow me. As we go into this third message of revival, looking intently at this area, let's be sure that we can really look in on what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And let's put ourselves in on that journey together in Christ. Pray with me. Father, I thank you so much that you are here, that you are power in your own presence. You are everything that we will ever need right here, right now. All sufficiency is found in Jesus Christ. I do pray, Father, right now for the help of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and our minds. And as we read your word, would you draw us into your presence in this way? And Lord, your will be done here in our hearts and lives. This is your service, and we're so thankful that you are the God that brings revival to the hearts of the people that seek after you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the 21st chapter of John's gospel, we find these words beginning right here at verse 18. Here's what the scripture says. He says, Truly I tell you, Jesus speaking to Peter, When you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, Jesus told him, follow me. When we read this passage, we're going to get a better context for understanding the backdrop really behind what's happening when Jesus mentions these words. You know, a conversation piece that's been going around that I've heard right here at Gospel Light, heard, heard, heard this among our staff and, and some of those in our church family, is really this statement about needing revival. And it's a statement, it's a fair statement. And many times we make the statement and we'll say, I, you know, I've been asked, do, do you need revival? But really, that's really not the right question we want to ask. What we really must ask ourselves above all is, do I even want it? Do I want revival? Do I desire it? Do I even realize that it's a need in my own life? And what happens in the church of the Lord Jesus is that when revival itself is not sought after, it's usually because nobody finds a value in that doesn't have the value to actually say, Lord, I need revival. 
Let's consider a Peter for a moment and understand the, that in the very beginning of his life, it started off with revival. It started off in the sense that Peter in Matthew 4 was fishing, and one day Jesus came by, and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it was from that point that Peter would drop its nets, and they would follow Jesus. But we go through Peter's life, and we see that it's not always been a very good following. He's had some ups and downs. He's had some things take place. And in our text today, Jesus is reminding Peter, follow me again. The question we would ask ourselves is, why is Peter having to be reminded when he's already been following? The thing that we realize and know about Peter's life, as we see in our own lives, is that Peter had some distractions along the way. He had some different things take place in his life and his walk with Jesus that really got in the way. In Luke 22, Jesus told Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen the brethren. We all know that when Jesus made that statement, Satan was coming after him. He wanted to to distract him and disrupt what Christ was doing in his life, and he did. Distractions found their way in Peter's lives over and over again. In fact, for the three years or so that he was following Christ, we know from the beginning to the end of those three years, he had some of those things that happened in the way. Let me ask you a question. In your life and in mine, how long have you been following Jesus? Just think about that. For some of us, it may be three months, three years, could be 30 years or or even longer. But along the journey, put yourself in Peter's sandals for a moment and just think, well, in my life, how many distractions have I had along the way? What has been my response? In the Christian walk, we know that sometimes we can get distracted by trying to build our portfolio more than build the kingdom of God. We can get distracted by having a full schedule but an empty prayer closet. We can get distracted in these certain ways in our life in which we are, we are just distracted by the ease that comes from excess instead of attracted to the power of generosity. These things begin to happen in our life in ways that we say, Lord, how did I get where I am? How did I end up in this position? Why is it that my heart feels so distant? Why am I so far away? What took place to bring me to where I am caused us to go back, to begin to examine and to look deeply inside. Today, I want you to think about these things together. And Pastor Capace mentioned this in the very beginning message. He made this statement about revival. Revival is a time of repentance, renewal, restoration, and release. It's a time where God works in ways that cannot be explained or denied. In, in God's presence today, our desire for revival really needs to be able to come out in this way. Today, I just pray that you and I would look at ourselves and understand how is it that revival is sought after in this way? Do I really want what this revival means? What does it look like when I am revived? What does it look like in Peter's life when he's revived? Well, that's what we want to do. Let's look at Peter's life for just a moment. What I want to do in a narrative sense is let's go ahead and backtrack from John 21 And let's go ahead and begin in chapter 18. And I want to just take some snapshots, just some snapshots of some scenes in Peter's life that lets us know 
How did he get to where he was following Christ again if he didn't start off that way for Jesus to have to mention it? How did he get there and how do we take away from his life what we put into application for our own? Amen? There's snapshots that you and I see together. Let's begin right here with four essentials to revival that come out of Peter's life. Go with me, if you would, please, to John 18, and we'll look together at what the Scripture says. It starts off here in verse 15. Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the, so the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was, who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. At this point, you get an understanding that Peter is following Jesus at a distance. Christ has been arrested. He's been beaten. He's now being in custody. And Peter and the other disciple in the text, who we believe to be John, is following maybe in the sense, and, but they're at a distance. He's not with Christ. He's scared for his life, but he's following at a distance. And then the Bible says in verse 17, then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves and Peter was standing with them warming himself. And then you go over in your scripture to verse 25 and the Bible says this, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it. He said, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again immediately. A rooster crowed. A familiar passage of scripture that we all have heard probably on many occasions But one thing that's happening here is that in Luke's gospel account, he gives another area of detail that that John's gospel does not. Same story in Luke 22, but he mentions one thing that we don't want to miss. He starts off in verse 61, and it's here. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Imagine this scene, okay? Just imagine this moment. The The Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And look at Peter's response. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The understanding there is that while Peter's at a distance in this courtyard area where Jesus is taken into custody, there is still some way that they can see one another. It's obvious what's happening. And in this moment when Peter denied Christ... I don't know him. I don't know him. Scared for his life. It's in that moment that Jesus and Peter, just imagine, they make eye contact. Jesus looking right at Peter. And Peter, Jesus didn't have to say a word because he already had spoken the word. And he knew. He remembered. God's word came back. And that's what challenged and transformed Peter's life to where he would become in this moment a very broken man. Peter's brokenness in this scene is exactly one of the first realizations that we understand about revival. 
In fact, let's just go ahead and understand this. One of my first realizations years ago about what revival looks like and why there is a need for brokenness, it comes from this passage in Revelation 3. It's when Jesus spoke to the church at Laodicea. Listen to this verse in Revelation 3.17. This is what the church said. For you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What I want you to see right here in a moment is that this is the reason why revival's needed in general. It's because we don't think we need it. We, we, many times I'm speaking for myself. Somehow I think that I'm okay. This is a, look at the scripture. You don't realize. It's Jesus telling the church the realization is that you think you're doing okay. But you're actually not as good as you think you are. And therefore you need me. This is a deception that I don't want to fall into. And I don't want any of us to. But it's a real realization that can happen when we think we're doing okay spiritually, then we don't have a pursuit for the Lord. And this is a trap. It gets into the church. It gets into life to where we're just missing the point of what it means to come after Christ. Paul told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he said, so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. It's our prayer today as we come before the Lord in the need of revival that we understand really in the fact that I pray that you and I will start right here at ground zero and it not be one of those things where I say, just bless me if you can, Lord. But instead it would be a heart that says, Lord, until I'm telling people about Jesus Christ every day of my life, I need your revival in me. I need to be serious about the kingdom of God. I need to want you more than I want money and, and popularity. I've got to want you, Lord. That's the heart cry that starts off with broken Peter. Leonard Ravenhill put it this way. He said, the first essential for the coming of the Holy Ghost and to a heart today is the heart should be cleansed from sin. For the Holy Spirit does not feel an unclean heart. Brokenness comes down to that point where we come to the realization that, Lord, I'm not where I need to be. Lord, as soon as I think I'm doing okay is when I need to repent and come closer to you because, Lord, I need to go further with you every day, not feeling like I can settle comfortably in an easygoing Christian life. Pastor Scott preached last week from Revelation 18, and he mentioned this in his sermon, powerful statement. He said, if you miss Babylon when you leave it, then you've missed it. Every generation needs revival because every generation has its own Babylons. It's whenever God's people get so comfortable, they pitch their tents towards Sodom and they just kind of camp out and they get too easy around the world and, and realize, man, we're called out of that. We're to be difference makers and world changers for the kingdom of God in this way. This is why brokenness is needed and that's why the first essential in revival is a, broken, a brokenness that we give to the Lord. And it's what we find essential number one is brokenness and our prayer to the Father. To be broken before him is this, Lord, I repent for my distracted distance, Lord Jesus. There is no revival where there is no repenting. We got to call sin by its first name, amen? Call it what it is. No sugarcoating, no tiptoeing around it. 
Man, if I'm not right with God, get right with God. If I need Christ to fill me, then I need to quit being full of myself. I need to be right with him so I can be used of him. Because life is so short. And we want to make the most count and count it all for Christ. That's where it's at. When we understand brokenness in this way, that's what we begin to pray. A friend told me a long time ago, he said, hey, as long as your eyes water, your head won't swell. Amen. It's the truth. Brokenness is what happens when we repent from an increase in our busyness and a decrease in our praying. We are broken because we've distracted ourselves maybe from being better church members than Christ followers. For falling into a lifestyle that's more comfortable than it is contagious. What we, need to pray, what we need to bring before the Lord as our attention today is, to, is just to say, Lord, I'm an empty vessel. Lord, I want to be cleansed of your spirit. I want you to fill me and use me, and I don't want to just point to it. What we want to be is a people who have a heart that is right with him in such a way that we're not simply just busy and buried under the weight of stuff. Instead, we're burning and bright under the weight of his glory. May God free us from any trap that could be existing of easy Christianity. Peter was a broken man. And out of his brokenness, we began to see that this man who is empty, who's wept, there's no telling what his prayer was to the Father. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But out of his brokenness, he needed to get right with God. And from that brokenness would then come what happens in chapter 20. Because weeping, may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen? And that's what happens here. Look at the scripture in your Bible, and notice what he says in chapter 20. He says, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, And said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. So you get a picture in your mind, right? The picture of the story is that the other disciple, who we believe to be John and Peter, are running to the tomb when Mary says they've stolen, they've stolen the Lord. We don't know where he is. So they're running, and Peter gets in second place. He didn't get there first, but the other disciple did. So you go further in your text when they all are there. And the Bible says in verse 11, it says, But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing that he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if, you, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher, don't cling to me. Jesus told her, since I have not 
yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Amen? He's not stolen. He's alive. That's what she's saying in the text. And she told them what Jesus said to her when it was the eve, when it was evening of the first day of the week. The disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. Man, imagine this moment. Having said this, he showed them his hands. And his side, it's almost like they needed to, is this what I think it is? Yes. So the disciples rejoiced. What does it say? When they saw the Lord. And then you go down to verse 24 and it says, But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. You see it? In the text, what we are brought to right now is that we've had a broken Peter, and out of his brokenness, something is beginning to transform here. And what's happened is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed everything. It's what we sing about this morning in worship. It is the difference maker. Hey, I'm alive in Christ. How about you? Christ rose from the dead. So therefore, it brings all of us into this alive realization that, man, this is why the joy of the Lord is real in this way. The launching of the Holy Spirit would come as a result of this filling resurrection power. In fact, we find it in an early church. The apostles were filled with this burning power. In Acts 4, the Bible says, with great power. They gave, resurre- they gave witness and testimony to the resurrection of Christ from the dead. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, Over and over again, the resurrection keeps being repeated and mentioned because they can't get over it, that Christ is alive, and therefore it's changed the whole landscape of New Testament theology and understanding from Old Covenant, New Covenant. Now we understand we are made alive in Christ. And so this all is a big picture. In fact, Paul the Apostle to the church of Philippi was filled with resurrection power because he said in verse 10, He said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, being like Jesus in his death. That's what it's all about. When we get into the text and understand, the reality here is that Paul could even say that resurrection power meant so much because he was so empty. He said, the things that I count gain, I now count loss for the sake of Christ. The key is being emptied. And the resurrection has changed everything in this text now for the disciples. D.L. Moody made this statement years ago. He said, I firmly believe that the moment our hearts are empty of pride and selfishness and ambition and self-seeking and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Ghost will come in and fill every corner that is, that is of our hearts. And, and, and he says, but if we are full of pride and conceit, and ambition and self-seeking and pleasure of the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. And I believe many a man is praying to God to fill him when he's already full of himself. That's a strong statement to think about 
But in the New Testament understanding of the word of God, we understand that there's got to be an emptying of God's people. And when there's that emptying, there's going to be the filling of God's Holy Spirit. What essential number two is in understanding revival. When I am truly revived, like it's not something I talk about, I don't just read it in a book, but it's something I'm personally experiencing with walking with Christ. It's when I am broken before the Lord and I'm repenting from my distracted distance and I'm coming back. Central number two is there is a burn within me. And the burn within comes out of praying, Lord, I'll sit at your feet until my heart burns with your resurrection power. That's our heart's cry. And I pray that you and I would just have the the same excitement that as if we've seen the Christ, as if we've seen the Lord and we know him in the way that, that we experience him in prayer. We experience him in worship. We get into his word and it's like he's right there with us. Because the spirit of God has just overwhelmed us that we are in the presence of the king. That should not be anything less than normal for the authentic Christian life. A burning heart filled with the Holy Spirit's resurrection power frees us from reducing Christ's likeness to some compromised version concerned more with happiness than it is holiness. Anything less than a burning heart is a sheep with a straying heart that turns more into a shallow fan that just knows how to clap for Jesus instead of a devoted Christ follower that follows Jesus with full surrender to him. I'll never forget Ray, oh brother Ray, met him years ago where I was pastoring and church planning in the northern part of the U.S. Enjoyed being his pastor and we, got, we built a great relationship, but I'll never forget my dear brother because this man showed me something that I'd never seen in a heart of surrender like I did in this man's life. It was by testimony. Brother Ray was a railroad worker in the northern part of the U.S. and had been that way for years and worked with a very, very vile group of people and had for a while. Miraculously, divinely by the grace of God, this man was saved under the power of the gospel when he was in his mid-40s, revolutionized his life, left a life style of all kinds of things and he gave his life to Christ started living for Jesus I'll never forget brother Ray mentioning to me that he said he said when I got to know him that he had a tremendous testimony of how God changed him one of the things that he brought up is the fact that he said you know as I began to seek the Lord and I found out my life all this stuff that I had been a part of was just kind of leaving and disappearing I lost my desires he said I had a habit of smoking about two packs a day of cigarettes. He said, I'd been this way for a long time. He said, but one specific day, he said, I was at the end of the day and I had my normal routine and I, and I was going outside. He said, and I had my normal bedtime routine and I had a cigarette and I was smoking it out. And he said, I had just read some scripture and was smoking my cigarette. He said, I did not, I did not put the two together to disconnect because they'd been part of my life for all this time. But Ray told me, he said, I was sitting there smoking the cigarette and I just could not get over the fact that as Christ was cleansing me and bringing me to himself, that I wanted to be addicted to Jesus more than nicotine. That I did not even want alcohol in my life anymore. That I had not wanted anything in my life of anything other than I just wanted Christ. 
And I wanted him to fill me and use me. He said, as I was smoking the cigarette, he said, I didn't know what to do. I did not want it to become a part of my life anymore. He said, so I prayed this prayer. He said, I looked up, he said, it was a beautiful night. I smoked it, he said, as I, as I, as I licked the, snigger, the cigarette butt out of my hand. He said, Lord, and he said, I said this with a broken heart. He said, I was convicted and wanted to change. He said, God, would you make me like a 12-year-old boy that has never smoked in his life? That's all he prayed. He went to bed that night. He got up the next morning. His routine is he had cigarettes by his bedside. He had them at the kitchen table. He had it on his way out the door. He had a routine of three or four before he'd leave the house every morning. Before he got his truck, he had another pack. He said this was his normal. He got up that next morning. He went on and got ready. He didn't get a cigarette. He went to the kitchen. Didn't get a cigarette. He made his way all the way to the church or to this truck. And he had not smoked when he had gotten to work. First time it never happened. He said it would occur to him by mid-morning he had not smoked. And he said, I all of a sudden had lost the complete desire to even have nicotine. He said, I didn't even care to even smoke one. And he said, whenever I started to realize that I was not doing what I normally would do, he said, I had church right there in front of all the railroad workers. And he said, I let them know that Jesus is alive. He's the Christ. And he did a miracle in him. And he let them know that he took away the desire to even want another cigarette. That had been 30 plus years and he had never picked up another one because he said supernaturally God heard his prayer and supernaturally God brought the change. What Ray was communicating is what we see Peter bringing out in this text because now what we've got is a man who is broken and now he's burning with the resurrection power because they've seen the Lord. And now he's looking forward to saying, what is Christ going to do next? Well, Christ has already told them that he would meet them by the Sea of Tiberias. So what Brother Ray was doing to give God his very best and say, I don't want to be addicted to anything other than Christ, Peter mimics the same kind of presentation in this text. Look what happens in in verse 21, or excuse me, chapter 21. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Now pay attention to what happens here in this order. It starts off, Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Imagine the night. Fished all night, didn't catch a thing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat. He told them, and you'll find some. So they did. And they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. It is the Lord. So he discerned it. Now look what happens with Peter next. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, 
He tied his outer clothing around him for you, taking it off, obviously fishing all night, got rid of that, put it back on, and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, you know, about 100 yards, that's a football field, is that pretty far? Yeah, it's not exactly a small distance. 100 yards away, it says the other disciple came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. You can almost picture here with Peter, when he realizes it's the Lord, he all of a sudden is, is captivated by the fact that that's Jesus? There he is again? We can talk to him again? The resurrection has already overwhelmed him. They're all knowing he's alive. And now he wants to get to him. A hundred yards is nothing if it means I can get to Christ. It's just a small distance compared to getting in his presence. And did you notice how he jumped in the water, but John's still in the boat? Well, I'm telling you what, it doesn't say it here, but it's pretty implied, right? Hey, John, you may have beat me to the grave, but I ain't going to let you beat me to the shore. Amen? He's going to get there. And he got there, and he got there with all his heart. And when he gets to Jesus, look what happens in the text. He says in verse 9, he says, He brought the net, dragging it full of fish. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Notice that. Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, even though there were so many, the net was not torn. What happens here in our text is an amazing realization of the fact that Apostle Peter is is a man who's so blessed in such a way that he's gone from the low part of the the bottom of despair to where he he broke the Lord's heart. He, He denied him. And now he's breaking. And from his brokenness, he rises up. And the fact that Peter is now has seen the Lord and Christ is alive. The burn is there. Christ is here. He's lied and ri- alive and risen. And now you see that he is saying to, what he's doing by his actions is that he is bringing the entire net to Jesus. Jesus only said bring some of the fish. Because he already had some cooking. But when you're Peter and you're broken and you're burdened in your heart for Christ, some means all. Some of me, Lord, means all of me. And that's exactly the actions that are found right here is that when you and I are a people who are so broken by the Holy Spirit of God to where we've come before him as we are, and we are we are giving him, we are burning in our heart because we want to know him and the power of his resurrection. You and I know that what happens in us is that we come to him and say, Lord, here's all of me because I want to give you all that you're worthy of. I love the way Charles Spurgeon put this. He said, a, tr- a church in the land without the Holy Spirit is rather a curse than a blessing. He said, if you have not the Spirit of God, Christian worker, Remember that you stand in someone else's way. You are a fruitless tree standing where a fruitful tree might grow. It's a reminder that if I am called to know Christ, then then my brokenness is replaced with my burn and my boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, when this becomes my reality, I want to be fruitful for him. I want his life to be produced through me. I want to not just sit around and sit soaking sour. I want to be God's man or God's woman used of him so we can do his will. 
Essential number three is the fact that what Peter was implicate, implying in the text is that he was going to give Jesus Christ his very best. Being the best for Christ that you can give and be. And it comes out of a prayer. I give nothing less to you than all there is of me. Lord Jesus. And it's my prayer today that that's what we are praying to the Lord in that, with that kind of heart and attitude. It's in our brokenness and in our, in our burning that we know Jesus Christ is worth more to us than just the mundane and the monotonous. He is worth the 100-yard swim, amen? He's worth the whole net of fish, not a simple little leftover. He is worth nothing less than all of me. When revival hits a people, revival takes in a church. When revival is experienced in that kind of way between us and the presence of God, it happens when you and I start at the very beginning on face if necessary, and we are before the Lord, and we are people broken to say, Lord, I'm not not where I need to be, but I know you will go with me where I need to go. Broken, our hearts burning yet again, maybe like the joy you may have had before the Lord, maybe in times past, and maybe it's been a while. But what happens in revival is that this is always an indication. It's that we want to give Jesus Christ our very best. We want him to have all of us. And it's a heart of surrender to him in a way that is supernaturally governed by the Spirit of God. Jim Elliott, he had that kind of heart years ago as he was martyred for Christ in 1956. In fact, January this month, 1956. Jim found himself giving his life for Christ in the way of service. He didn't know it would cost him his life. He was in Ecuador and he was trying to bring the gospel to an unreached people group who did not know the gospel of Christ. Jim and his men had agreed not to shoot their weapons because they knew they didn't want to send the Wadani people into eternity without giving them the gospel. So they willingly put their weapons aside and one specific day along the river, Jim and his guys would be speared to death at the hands of the Wadani people. Well, Jim's journal was found. Shortly before that day, he had written these words as a testimony. This is how devoted this man was to the will of God. He said, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. No, Lord, make me a fork so that men must turn one way or the other when they face Christ in me. Wow. What a prayer. What Jim was saying right there is that I refused to just be mundane. I refused to just be an average churchgoer. I refuse. I want this world to know Christ. And I want to make sure that I'm living so centered in the will of God that when I meet people and they meet me, it's not that they're talking to me. It's God all over me. Because I want them to see Christ and not see this fleshly man. He was devoted to the will of God in a powerful way. And that's what we find right here with Peter. Because at the end of the scene, the last and final snapshot in the text is in John 21. And it's when Jesus, after breakfast that morning, he has time to talk to Peter one-to-one. Just Peter. And he's talking to him. You can just imagine the dialogue. 
And in this scene, it starts off in verse 15, and here's what he says to Peter. It says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said to him, you know. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. He said to him, you know that I love you. He said, shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus said, truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and you would walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him those words, follow me. Wow. What you and I get in the text and understand is that the last time Peter was by a fire, he was warming himself when it was cold, hanging out with all the unbelievers while his Christ was at a distance in sight, denying him. I don't know him. I don't know him. He was warming himself by a fire. But that was the last time. This time, he's by a fire. He's confessing Christ. Peter, do you love me? Because talk is cheap. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I do. And every time Peter denied Christ, he has three times to confess Christ, to be restored. What Jesus was doing was gently bringing Peter along the way. He let him know, I know what you did. I know you messed up. But I'm here, Peter. And if you love me, then feed and shepherd my sheep. It's very interesting that love to Jesus is not defined by lip service. Love for him is like he said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Anybody can fake it. Jesus wants to know, if you love me, Peter, then I've got something I need you to do. Peter, this is my will. This is what I have for you. Tunnel vision, bud. Look straight ahead. I've got it here. Peter, you got distracted along the way, denied me, got scared of the Jews. But I've got something for you, buddy. This is what I need you to do. This is my will. This is my plan. Peter, this is my best. In all of this, what's happening for Peter is that he's starting to realize that, God, your work and your will, and your way is so much more important than my agenda. To follow Jesus Christ means to be responsible with the agenda or the work of the king. And when Peter says this, that's what's happening in the text. Corey ten Boom put it this way, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most ex- confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, The ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. 
That's because his yoke is easy and his burden's light. It's because it's not a labor. It's a love. It's that I'm not lawing my way to Christ. I am loving my way with Christ. I, I, I serve and you and I serve because we love. Therefore, it transforms the way that we relate to Christ. And then this understanding, that's what Peter is experiencing with Jesus. Jesus is able to say the word, my, my, my. Notice what I'm saying, Peter. My, my, my. Peter, this is about me. It's not about you. I've got my sheep and my lambs. I need you involved in my service. What happens in the life of someone who has revived, when we experience revival like Peter is experiencing in this text, we start off with being broken, which is the foundation. Coming before Christ as we are to admit where we are. And, in, and, if, and if somebody's too prideful to be broken, too good, too conceited, too arrogant, then they'll never be revived. That's a tragedy. And you know who suffers the most? The church and the world without the gospel. But when God's people are revived and they are broken, and all of a sudden out of that brokenness, they, 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 they rise up and they're filled with burning resurrection power of the Spirit of God living vibrantly through them. All of a sudden now their life is a complete living sacrifice and they just want to give Jesus their best, the whole net of fish, everything to him. And then we have those moments with Christ, like here with Peter. And he's able to have essential number four, which is to boundary God's will. Put a boundary there, Peter. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Peter, this is what I want you to do. When you and I are revived, we begin to get tunnel vision for the will of God. And we start to realize, you know what? This life is short, and I want to make sure that everything I'm doing right now with my job, my work, my career, my parenting, my finances, everything I'm doing is Jesus Christ, the king of all that I'm doing. I want his will done. And when we boundary the will of God in the sense that we say, I want to stay focused on what is mattering to the king, not to me, our prayer, our prayer to him will be a prayer that could be something like, I crucify my will to you so that you can sanctify your will in me. That's what our prayer could be. What we want to be able to have is some overflow in our Christian walk church family, an overflow that comes from a broken and a burning heart that is consumed with offering Jesus Christ nothing less than our best because his will has never looked so good when you've been revived. When you've been revived or when we're being revived, we begin to get excited about the will of God, thinking about, man, I want to decrease so he can increase. I want him to be all that I can. I'd love to go to the store and somebody notice that Christ lives in me without me even saying a word at that moment. It happens when the Holy Spirit is your radiance and your joy and the living Christ is living through us. Never in Scripture does God call his people to keep their will and then just kind of conveniently add his. A crucified will means a glorified Savior and a Spirit-filled believer. That's where it's at. Let's get back. Right now. I mean, let's do it. Let's just get back to where the glow on our faces is coming more from the word of God than it is the screens on our phones. 
Let's get back to that again, to where we don't ride the fence of compromise. But man, instead, let's jump the fence and storm the gates of hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because pansies belong in flower beds, but they don't belong in the church. We need Christ in that way, to where Christ knows we, you're Lord of what we do at Gospel Night. You're Lord of our membership. You're Lord of our offerings. You're Lord of our service in such a way that we don't settle for becoming too complacent. But instead, we be a people that are hot after his heart. I'm telling y'all, we may have made some mistakes. And Samson may have messed up with Delilah. But you know what? The scripture says his hair grew again. Amen? Peter may have failed Christ and denied him. But he ended up following him again. You and I may have messed up here and there. We may be right now broken in this service. But guess what? By the power of his grace, your fire can burn again too. He cares deeply for where we are. Let's cry out to him with a broken and a burning heart that says, Lord, here's my best. I'm not just going to give you some. Some means all. Here's the whole net of fish, Jesus. I want to do your will. I want to be your vessel. A heart that burns for him in that kind of way, running back to the will of God. Right here today, what we would understand is that the biggest picture that we've got to come to is the realization, and this is where we're just going to be honest with God. As we said at the beginning of the message, if there's any of us that just has this, we're stuck, and we're just stuck in maybe the blindness that just says, I hear what you're saying. I understand what that means. But I don't know if that really applies to me. I don't know what to do. If any of us are there to where we just say, man, I need, I, I want to come back, but what do I do? Where do I start? I, I want to be on fire for Christ. I want his burning me again. I, I desire revival, not just to read about it in books. I want that story to be my story. I want to be his vessel, used of him, instead of just going through the motions. One year after next. My friend, if you and I would understand that what we do at this moment is we come back to him as we are. And we are broken before the Lord. And we come before his presence in this moment. And if we think we're doing okay, that's the very litmus test to say right there is where I need to stop and pause and I need to get, get before the Lord. Instead, it ought to be that, Lord, I'm not doing okay. Um, Father, I, I want to go further with you. I thank you for what fruit you're producing in my life. I thank you for the way you're using me. But Lord, I don't want to get stuck right here and just be in my happy little circle. I, I want to be able to be used of you in such a way that, God, you keep growing me and stretching me and advancing your kingdom through my yieldedness. Lord, I desire your utmost in me, Lord. And today, if we would just be transparent with the Lord, then I pray that we would be a people that God would bring brokenness and humility and that we would find ourselves saying, Lord, I'm burning for you again. God, I want to give you my best. I want to boundary your will, your will. What do you want done, Jesus? G.C. Morgan put it this way. He says, we cannot organize revival. But we can set ourselves to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon his people once again. When G.C. Morgan made the statement there, it's a very incredible thinking of, of how it is that we go into this time of invitation, how we focus this time of prayer before the Lord. 
We go before the Lord to say, Father, I come to you as I am, and I just don't want to sit around. Lord, I want to be used of you in this way. So where we are at this moment is what Isaiah the prophet said in chapter 64, verse 1. He said, oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. Our hearts cry before the Lord this morning is, do we want him that bad? Do we desire revival that much? I I have made the mistake of just coasting. I have been that guy to my shame, to where I can fool anybody on the outside, but inside I know who I am in Christ and I know what he's deserving of versus what I'm giving him. And God has had to bring me to brokenness over and over again because it's very easy to get so complacently comfortable to where we don't desire the revival that he's willing to give. You know what people are revived like the New Testament church when the normal everyday routine for us is wherever we go and whatever we're doing in our jobs, careers, our grocery store runs, we find ourselves sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ like the New Testament church did. That's missing in the church today. And we know it. We know it. We know it. I know it. I know it in my own life. And the question is, why isn't that consistent? Why do I shut up when I should be speaking out the gospel to people? And this is where it all comes down to. It's because of in here. It's not a methodology. It's not a formula. It's not if we do these five things. It's just simply that when I am so filled with Jesus Christ, he just comes out. His gospel message is my heartbeat. And that's where we want to come back to. A people revived and broken. It's a beautiful thing to the Lord. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, this Christ that we talk about in the text, he died for your sin, friend. He rose from the dead. He has given eternal life for you and me to live forever with him. He calls us to this life right here, this life of living what counts for eternity for his glory. If you don't know Christ at all and you want to be saved by Jesus, this altar will be open. Myself, Pastor Capace, other elders, others in the church will be available if you want to talk about a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. He loves you and died for you and will save you. But if you and I are the Christian that's here and we say, man, I'm stuck. I just got to get back. I, I see what happened with Peter and I see where it starts. And my heart is cold and distant and mechanical. I don't know what's wrong. I just need to come back to him, a fresh, a fresh beginning with him in a way that God bring me back to brokenness. I'm so shallow. I'm sunk into the mire of mud of this world and its ways. I just, I'm, I'm desensitized from the things of God right now. I don't want to be that way. I need you. The spirit of God is calling and breaking. Answer him. Come back to him. Be as vulnerable to him as he would have you to be. Some of the best days of my life that I've ever had with Christ over the years have been when I've been in places and different areas in my own private time and with others where God's spirit would break me and it would just be something that's from heaven. 
And I can't even explain it except that it just comes from him in worship or in failure. God has broken me in both ways. And I'm still being broken, y'all. Nowhere where I need to be. But along with you, I'm striving after him. His cross, the world behind me, the cross before us. Wherever we are today at this moment, if you need to come back to him in such a way that God would bring brokenness. Pastor Scott opened this invitation last week to say to the church family, this altar is open. If there's any of us that just say, you know what? I find myself looking a lot more like Peter than I care to admit. I need to run back to him. I need to run back to Christ. I need to go ahead and bring some things before the Lord right now that I know are distractions in my life. And they are keeping me distant from him. I want to come back. And I want to burn again to give him my best so that I delight to do his will with all that I am. If that's you this morning, let's use this time. If God so moves, let's come and seek his face in that way. God's will be done. Let's pray. Father, Lord, you know. There's nothing that I have to give. All that I am is only what you do in me. And I'm joined by my brothers and sisters in the same way, Lord. God, when we would you please hear us this, this morning? Would you hear our cry? Lord, would you hear our hearts? Would you please, Lord God, move again only by the Holy Spirit's power. God, would you move again, do again in us what is impossible to be done by any man-organized idea. Hear the cry of your people, Lord. And would you hear us be like Peter? that we would run to Christ. God, save the lost. Save anyone that's lost without Jesus. Revive us as your church. Continue to build upon what you're doing in our hearts in this revival series. God, we seek you with all that we are. You're worthy of every bit we can offer. God, we don't want to sell you short. Jesus, you deserve nothing less than the whole net of fish. Give us what it takes to give you our all. We say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's all stand and let's seek the Lord at this time.